If you've got your Bibles, open up to Matthew 14. That's where we're going to be at today as we continue our series on If You Want to Walk on Water. And so far we've talked about if you want to walk on water, you've got to spend some time and get alone with God. You've got to know that storms are coming in life and be prepared for them. And you also have to know the God that you serve. And today we want to talk about if you want to walk on water, you've got to get out of the boat. Now, I'm going to tell you, we live in a day and age where we like comfort, right? Every one of us likes to be comfortable. How many of you have that chair that's your chair, right? You got it just right. I mean, it's got your imprint and everything. It's your chair, and if somebody sits in it, you're going to ask them to move because that's your chair. We love comfort. We love comfort foods. This is the time we eat comfort foods, right? This is the time we get a little bit bigger because we like comfort foods. We like comfortable clothing. I mean, if we could, we would go out all the time in the clothes we wear around the house. But, you know, there's times where we got to get a little bit dressed up and we're going to go do some other things, got to wear some work clothes. And, but we like our comfortable clothing. And I'll be honest with you, I think we've gotten to a point in the church that we've just gotten comfortable with our Christianity. And I'm afraid that we've gotten so comfortable with our Christianity that we just have no desire for God to shake us out of our comfort zones. I'm telling you, comfort is something that can kill a church and it certainly can kill a Christian because we have this mindset that God doesn't want to do that. God, doesn't want, God wants us to be happy and God wants us to be comfortable. I don't know where we got that idea from. Because there was a guy that came up to Jesus one time and he said, Lord, I'll follow you. And Jesus said these words to him. He said, foxes have holes and birds of the air have nests, but the Son of Man has nowhere to lay his head. In other words, if you're going to follow me, it's not going to be comfortable. If you're going to follow me, you may not have a bed to sleep in. If you're going to follow me, you're going to go through some difficult times. In fact, he told his disciples, if you want to come follow me, you've got to deny yourself, take up your cross, and come follow me. Never once did Jesus ever promise comfort well here's the thing when it comes to disciples and the story that we're going to talk about there's a couple of things that God could have done but he chose not to in fact Jesus could have offered them an easy boat trip right but instead he wanted to give them a chance to grow to be honest with you we're not going to grow if we stay comfortable that's why they don't have recliners at the gym right you don't have recliners at the gym why because that's not going to help you grow and the truth is, is God could offer them an easy boat ride, but he decided not to. He wanted to shake things up. In fact, Jesus could offer them a normal boat trip. But instead, he wanted to shake them out of their comfort zone. They were used to sailing boats. They were used to being out there in the water. And God decided to do something just a little bit different to get them out of their comfort zones. God could offer them a risk-free journey. But instead, he wanted to make them take a risk. I think God is speaking to us today, and I hope he's speaking to you, and that is God is ready to shake you out of your comfort zone. God is ready to show you that if you're going to walk with me, you're not going to walk in the easy path. There are going to be times where you're going to face difficulties. God's going to ask you to do things you don't want to do, but God is going to shake you out of your comfort zone because guess what? That's when the world can see God in you. If you want to walk on water, you've got to get out of the boat. Well, we're going to begin reading verse 24, but we're only going to focus on verses 28 and 29. But I want to start with a little bit of context so that as we get into the passage, these are verses we've read over the last couple of weeks, but I want to get us into the context of understanding what was going on with Peter. Verse 24, but the ship was now in the midst of the sea, 
tossed with waves, for the wind was contrary. And in the fourth watch of the night, Jesus went unto them, walking on the sea. And when the disciples saw him walking on the sea, they were troubled, saying, It is a spirit, and they cried out for fear. But straightway Jesus spoke unto them, saying, Be of good cheer, I am. Sorry, I had to correct it there. I am. Be not afraid. And Peter answered him and said, Lord, if it be thou, bid me come unto thee on the water. There's four truths we want to believe in order to walk on water. The first one is you have to know who is in control. Dale Bruner said this. It's important to see that Peter did not ask Jesus for a promise. Lord, promise me I won't sink, but specifically for a command. Lord, if it's you, command me. Peter didn't ask for a guarantee, just an opportunity. Now, you think about that. We like safety, right? We love safety. If you don't believe me, Listen to the mother as the child leaves the house and heads out the door. She doesn't look at her child and go, take a risk today. Hey, when you go to cross the street, only look one way. Right? No, she doesn't say that. The words out of a mother's mouth are what? Be safe. Make smart choices. Don't pick up a stick and run with it. You might poke your eye out. Right? Moms are going to give that kind of advice, safety advice. If you don't believe me, look at the world we live in. When I was growing up, you rode in a car, you had a seatbelt. If you wore it, you wore it. If you didn't, you didn't, right? Because if you put on the brakes real hard, mama's going to do what? Ain't nothing like a karate chop to the chest to keep you from hitting the dashboard, right? She, she had put that arm out there. It didn't matter if you had a seatbelt on or not. She was going to stop you. But you look at cars today. We got seatbelts. We've now added airbags. We got seatbelts that now lock so that you can't move at all, right? I mean, pretty soon we're going to have it when you wreck, it's going to fill up with styrofoam. I mean, there's no telling. I guess we just need to bubble wrap cars now. I don't know. But you think about it. When I went out to play as a kid and I would ride my bike, I didn't even think twice about putting on a helmet, right? I had the bike. It didn't have a chain guard. It had the pedals on the back so I could do, and I'd go out there and I'd build ramps that were unsafe, and I would jump, and I would do all kinds of tricks on my bike, and I'd come in needing stitches and all kinds of other things, but, you know, that's what we did as kids. Now a kid goes out to ride a bike. It's grab your helmet, grab your elbow pads, grab your knee pads, make sure the chain guard's on there, put the training wheels on, and make sure, oh, and if that's not enough, let me get some bubble wrap, and I'll wrap you, and then you can ride your bike, Right? Safety. We are so obsessed with safety today that we are afraid to do something that takes a risk. But if you know that God that I know, and you know he's in control, you know that my God, he wants us to take some risk. He wants us to get out of our comfort zone. He wants us to do so much more. John Ortberg says this, the disciples did not want to risk brokenness or failure. They treasured safety Overgrowth. The Lord wanted to pass them by to reveal himself in some adventuresome splendor, not to bypass them. The ultimate adventure of faith was something they were content to watch from the sidelines. They didn't want to be passed by, just passed up. They understood the cost of getting out of the boat. They were very much aware of the pain of potential failure, embarrassment, inadequacy, criticism, and perhaps even loss of life. My question to you this morning is, do you want to be Peter or do you want to be the other 11? Notice they don't even get a name in this context. You just want to be the other 11 who stays in the boat. Let me tell you something. It can be safe in the boat. It can be comfortable in the boat. It can be, it is so 
easy as Christians to just keep going through the motions of the Christian life, never accomplishing anything for the glory of God. It is so simple to do that, but that's not what God wants from us. God doesn't want us to stay comfortable. He wants to shake us out of it. We can be like the 11 disciples who stood in the boat, who watched Peter get out and walk on the water. We can be observers or we can be participants. That's what you have to decide. If you want to observe God working or you want to participate in being a part of what God is doing, you make the choice. We've got to be willing to take risk. And we've got to be willing to take risk because we know who's in control. Can I tell you something? The first roller coaster, and I'm a big roller coaster guy. All right? I'm praying that when I get to heaven, there's roller coasters there. All right? Bible doesn't say they're not there, so there's a possibility. Okay? But I'm hoping. I love roller coasters. But here's the thing. The very first time I got on a roller coaster, I was scared to death. I was only about eight years old. And my mama didn't want to take me on the Scooby-Doo roller coaster at Carowinds. She wanted me to ride one called White Lightning. Now, White Lightning is no longer at Carowinds. It was one of the coolest roller coasters. It was the first launch roller coaster. It would shoot you out. You'd do a loop. You'd go up to the end of the track. It would stop, and then it would bring you backwards through the loop, and then you'd go up backwards and stop, and then you'd come back into the bay. It was a neat little ride. But as a little kid, eight years old, I'm sitting there going, what if I fall out of the loop? What if the train goes over the edge of the tracks at the top? Those were my thoughts that went through my head. I had seen the thing go over and over and over again. But as an eight-year-old kid, you're still scared to get on that roller coaster. And I remember my mom saying, I'm going to ride it with you. I'll be right there with you. And if you get scared, just close your eyes. Can I tell you what made me get on that roller coaster? Knowing that my mom was going to be right there beside of me. Knowing that no matter what, she was going to be with me when I rolled that roller coaster. And I trusted her more than I trusted the coaster you got to trust God more than you trust the boat. I think about my son the first time I was trying to teach him how to swim. You've probably all been there where you try to teach your kids to swim. We were at the beach and we were in the infinity pool that looked out over the ocean. And Caleb, I had to hold him every time he would swim. He never wanted to branch out on his own. It was always hold me, hold me. And so I would hold him as he would swim and and finally, I said, man, I'm, I'm tired of holding you. I'm going to go out here, and I'm going to swim a little bit. So I stuck him on the ladder, right? Now, he had two choices. He could have stayed at the ladder the rest of the day. As I swim to the edge of the infinity pool, and I'm about maybe, maybe 15 feet away from him, as soon as I get to the edge and I look over into the ocean, I feel a tug on my shoulder, and there he is. He followed me all the way over, swimming all on his own. You want to know why he did that? Because he trusted that his daddy would hold him when he got there. You see, let me tell you something. If you walk out on the water, you got to trust that the God who's out on the water is going to hold you when you get to him. Peter would rather risk everything and get out on the water so that he could accomplish great things for the Lord. So that, uh, not so that he would get fame. Peter wasn't looking for everybody to go, oh, look, Peter walked on water. No, he wanted to see that God would get all the glory. He wanted the disciples to see that, guess what? Not only can God walk on the water, but if you have enough faith in him, you can walk on water too. We got to be willing to take some risk and get out of our comfort zone. But you have to know the one who's in control. Peter said, Lord, if it's you, command me to come out there. Lord, if, it's, if you are exactly who you say you are, you can ask me to come out and I'll be able to do it too. 
You have to know who's in control. Number two, you have to believe the impossible. Look at verse 29. And he said, get this, come. Isn't that amazing, amazing that that's all Jesus said? He didn't look at Peter and go, hey, guess what, buddy? I promise you that if you take a step out, I'll make certain you walk on water. He didn't look at Peter and say, hey, guess what, buddy? If you'll just take a step on out, I promise you, you won't sink. I'll help you all along the way. That's not what he said. Jesus just simply said, and now we don't know how far apart they are. Jesus could have been way across the sea, and he just said, come. Come. We have to believe that the impossible is possible with God. I love what Henry Blackaby says about this. He said, some people say, God will never ask me to do something I can't do. I've come to the place in my life that if the assignment I sense God is giving me is something that I know I can handle, I know it is probably not from God. The kind of assignments God gives in the Bible are always God-sized. They're always beyond what people can do because he wants to demonstrate his nature, his strength, his provision, and his kindness to his people and to a watching world. This is the only way the world will come to know him. God can do the impossible. Do you believe the God of the Bible? Do you believe he's the God that can make the blind to see? Do you believe he's the God that can make the deaf to hear? Boy, that sounds pretty weak. Do you believe he's the God that can make the lame to walk? Do you believe he's the God that can raise the dead up? Do you believe he's the God that's going to take care of you eternally? If you believe that that's the God you serve, I promise you, if he tells you to come, you better go. He's going to take care of you. You've got to believe in the impossible. The thing is, is so often when we pray to God, we're praying for possible things. We're praying for things we can do. Oh, we say, well, if God wants me to do it, I know that I can be able to do it. No, it's not about that. If God calls you to do something, it's because he wants you to get on your knees and trust him to do it through you. We've got to believe he's the God of the impossible. If you think I'm mistaken, well, just talk to Abraham. Abraham was in the land of Ur, and God came to him and said, Hey, buddy, here's what I want you to do. I want you to leave it all behind. Now, can you imagine? That's called breaking you out of your comfort zone, isn't it? I want you to leave your family. I want you to leave your people. I want you to leave everything, and I want you to go to a place I'm going to direct you. I'm not even going to tell you where it is. I'm just going to show you. Man, God doesn't work with the comfort zone. God works around it. How about Moses when Moses had to confront Pharaoh, right? He goes to him and he says, I want you to confront Pharaoh, and I want you to, to possess and bring about these ten plagues upon Pharaoh. Now, could Moses have done that on his own? Of course not. It had to be through God. Moses didn't even want to go and stand in front of Pharaoh. He said, how about my brother Aaron? Moses knew exactly what he could do, but he trusted that God would work in and through him, that God would do the impossible. How about Joshua when Joshua was told to go and defeat the land of Jericho? Could you imagine Joshua probably had a battle plan that had something along the lines of catapults, battering rams, or a siege mound? And God goes, no, 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 no. Here's what I want you to do. For a week, I want you to walk around the city. Can you imagine Joshua's going, Lord, that doesn't make any sense. He doesn't question it, but it simply says that he got out. He walked around the city for six days, one time on the seventh day, seven times, and God made the walls come down when they screamed. Why? Why? Because Joshua had to know that God was the one in control and that God could do the impossible. How about Jonah preaching to the Ninevites? Well, let's be honest. Could you imagine having to go to a place that is your vast enemy that's wanting to do nothing but destroy your people? And God says, I want you to go. 
Jonah didn't have the strength to do it on his own. That's why he ran away the first time. But then when God got him back on the right path, Jonah realized, hey, guess what? I can do this with the strength and the power of God in me. How about Esther? I love the story of Esther, and oftentimes she's missed in the Bible, but she is such a wonderful character. But had it not been for Esther stepping up to the king, she could have lost her life, but she was willing to step up to king to save her people. Here's the thing. God is going to ask you to do some things that on your own, they are absolutely impossible. And the reason being is because it will cause you to rely on him. Like Henry Blackaby said, if God's calling you to do something that you can do on your own, it's probably not coming from God. He wants you to do something that only he can do in and through you. We have to believe that God can do the impossible. Number three, you ready? You have to take the first step. Look at verse 29. And he said, come. And when Peter was come down out of the ship. Now I'm going to tell you, I have thought about this story over and over and over again. And you know what I kept thinking? I kept thinking about the boat. I kept thinking about this boat, and I kept thinking, what kind of boat was this? You know, was it, was it a simple boat like fishermen have today? Could it be something real simple, something real low to the waters? I mean, but then I had to think about it. I'm like, well, wait a minute. It was going to hold 12 people or more. So this had to be a pretty big fishing boat. It had to be pretty high up off the water. This wasn't a, a boat that he could have just stepped out of. This was a boat he was going to have to leap out of. It was about four or five at least feet above the water. So it wasn't like he could just go... I did it. No, it was one of those where he had to leap out of the boat. See, sometimes the first step is the hardest step. And the reason why it's the hardest step is sometimes it requires a giant leap. He had to hop out of the boat. And here's the thing. He couldn't climb down. Somebody said, oh, well, he probably climbed down a ladder. He had to keep his eyes on Jesus the whole time. He wasn't climbing down a ladder. He kept his eyes on Jesus when he jumped out of the boat, and he kept his focus on Jesus as he walked to him. But you got to take the first step. God's going to give you that first step, and the moment you take the first step, then guess what? He'll give you the ability to take the next one. But you got to take the first step first. I love Moses. You know how timid Moses was when God called him to go to Pharaoh? Moses needed a little miracle for himself. And God goes, okay, throw down your staff. So he throws down the staff and it becomes a snake. And what does Moses do? He runs away, right? And God goes, no, 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 no. Go back and grab that snake by the tail. Now, if God told me to do that, I'd be like, Lord, I'm Baptocostal, but not that Baptocostal. <laughs> I'm all good, Lord. But Moses had to do what? He had to go over and he had to pick up the serpent by his tail. And the moment he picked it up, it became a staff again in his hands. He had to take the first step. How about Naaman, the Syrian? He had leprosy. He was loaded up all over his body. Naaman is coming in there, and he hears from the prophet Elisha. And Elisha tells him, he says, here's what you got to do. You got to go dip in the Jordan seven times, and your leprosy will be healed. And he goes, that nasty river? Why would I go dip there? There's plenty of other rivers in my land that are much nicer. And one of the servants comes up to him and says, hey, if he had asked you to do something big, wouldn't you have done it? He's only asking you to go dip in the Jordan. Don't you think it's worth a try? And Naaman goes and he dips in it seven times. And when he comes out, he comes out completely whole. He had to take the first step. How about Gideon? 
How about Gideon's army of 32,000? It was already too small of an army to go defeat the Midianites. And God says, nah, Gideon, I'm not ready for you just yet. Why don't you ask them who's afraid? And Gideon goes, anybody that's afraid can leave. 22,000, pack it up and leave. Narrows his army down to 10,000. Now he's really in trouble, right? He's got to fight this huge army that's probably 50,000 plus. We don't know just how big it is. But here he is. He's got 10,000 men. He's probably outnumbered at least five to one, maybe even worse than that. And then God goes, oh, no, 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 no. Hey, Gideon, your army is still too big. I want you to take them down by the river, and we're going to test them there. And God lowered it down to 300 men. Well, you know why? Because God wanted to show him that I'm going to be the one that does this, not you. I just want you to take the first step, be obedient, trust me. And once you do that, I'm going to show you something great. Peter got out of the boat. I still love this. You know, it's so amazing to me when I think about it because here's the thing. We can understand Jesus walking on water because he's God. But there was one man who walked on water. There's only one person other than Jesus can claim that they walked on water, and it was Peter. At least he got out of the boat. He said, Peter, come down out of the boat. Lastly, I want you to see that you have to be a risk taker. Listen to verse 29. It says, and he said, come. When Peter was come down out of the ship, he walked on the water to go to Jesus. He walked on the water. I love what John Ortberg said here. He said, sometimes people in Scripture get motivated to trust God in remarkable ways when they grow frustrated with the brokenness of a fallen world. Trust God in phenomenal ways when you recognize and you're frustrated with a broken world. We living in a broken world, you better believe it. I love the United States of America. But we got a problem when we're okay with killing babies. And we got a problem when boys and girls don't know they're boys and girls. And we got a problem when women are marrying women and men are marrying men. We got a big problem. And I don't know if you're frustrated yet, but usually it's frustration that brings on men and women of God to stand up for God. Or we can just keep sitting there and being comfortable. You see, great frustration can cause us to move out. I think of Nehemiah. Nehemiah was a great man who wanted to go and rebuild the walls of Jerusalem. And he asked somebody when they came in, he said, how's Jerusalem? And they said, well, the walls are all torn down. And Nehemiah was willing to risk himself, risk his own life by going to the king and saying, hey, king, I know I'm your cupbearer, but I would like to go back to my land and I'd like to rebuild the walls and I would like to do something great for my people. He was willing to risk because he was frustrated with what was going on at that time. I can also think of Elijah. He was sick and tired of all the idol worship that was going on in the land. And Elijah, he hid himself for three and a half years because God was protecting him and God was watching over him. But one day God told him, it's time to get out. There's time for you to go do something, time for you to go to work. Elijah was sick of all the idolatry in the land. And so he went up there and he said, I challenge the 450 prophets of Baal. And we're going to make a sacrifice and we're going to see which God answers by fire. And he loved God so much, he said, I'm going to show you how awesome my God is. So he kept pouring water pot after water pot after water pot on the meat, on the sacrifice, on the wood. And he dug a trench around it so that the water just sat in there. And he said, I believe in my God. He prayed a short little prayer and God sent fire and consumed his sacrifice. He was frustrated with the idolatry of the land, but he stood up. I also think of David. Go into the battlefield. And there's Goliath on the other side. 
And he has taunted the armies of God for far too long. And he has taunted them and taunted them and spoke ill of them and spoke ill of their God. And nobody stood up. But the first time David, this little 17-year-old shrimp, hears what's going on. And he hears what Goliath is doing and he's calling the people out. And David goes, oh, no, 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 you're not getting by with that. I'll go fight that guy. And he tries to put on Saul's armor because that's what Saul wants. That's not what David wants. And David goes, I can't fight in these. Take these off. I'm going to take my sling and I'm going to take five stones and I'm going to go slay me a giant. Are you frustrated yet? Are you frustrated enough that God wants to move you out of your comfort zone? Are you ready to see God do something great in and through you? Are you just tired of the mundane? Because I'm going to tell you what. Here's the thing. We can do church the same way we've always done it for 30 years and keep inspecting to see God do something great. And we can just stay in our comfort zones the rest of our Christian lives and never step outside of these four walls and reach into our community. And guess what? God will pass us by. But you see, the thing is, he's not wanting to pass us by. He's wanting to come on in and use each and every one of us. But we got to be willing to get out of our comfort zone. My question for you today is, why are you still in the boat? Why are you still in the boat? I want to read something to you. And this just hit me right between the eyes when I read it. Listen closely. To sinful patterns of behavior that never got confronted and changed. Abilities and gifts that never get cultivated and deployed. Until weeks become months and months turn into years. And one day you're looking back on a life of deep, intimate, gut-wrenching, honest conversations you never had. Great, bold prayers you never prayed. Exhilarating risks you never took. Sacrificial gifts you never offered. Lives you never touched. And you're sitting in a recliner with a shriveled soul. And forgotten dreams... And you realize there was a world of desperate need. And a great God calling you to be part of something bigger than yourself. You see the person you could have become but did not. You never followed your calling. You never got out of the boat. Here's what I want to ask you to do today. Get out of the boat. Know the God you serve. And trust him that if he asks you to do something that you say, I can't do it, then that means God is ready to do it through you. Because the moment you realize you can't do it, then you can know it's God telling you it's time to do it. If there's sin in your life that you've got to get rid of, then go ahead and get rid of it. Stop playing games with it. Stop staying in your comfort zone with the sin that you have in your life. Cast it aside. If God is asking you to use your gifts and your abilities to do something great for him that you've never done before, then trust him to use you and do it. If God is asking you to speak to a person that he's been telling you to speak to for a year or more, and God is telling you it's time for you to go tell them about me, step out of the boat and go tell them. Stop staying in the boat where it's comfortable and expect that God is going to use you right where you are when he's telling you, I want you to take the first step and then I'm going to use you. God is ready. And I'm here to tell you, he is ready to blow things up in this city. He is ready for revival to happen in this church. 
He is ready for us to get out of the boat and get on the seas with him, no matter how rocky it becomes, as long as we're out there with him. Are you going to get out of the boat? Because here's the thing. You can stay right there, and God will never use you. Or you can take the first step, and boy, you better hold on for your life. Because God's getting ready to do something great through you. Will you get out of the boat?